Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's Electric Tuesday, everyone. I uh, got on. I got back from Las Vegas at 5 a.m. this morning. I've had a pot of coffee since then, and uh, one quarterback domino keeps falling after another. We're going to break down all of that news and then also just quickly review the combine. You know, I know we didn't have the biggest uh, preview of it here on the podcast, but we do have some important takeaways and some great guests to help us sort through that. Today, we have three of us on here, myself, Dwayne McFarland and Kevin Cole, PFF's finest, with all due respect to Nathan Yonkin, too. I love you, Nate. Guys, how is it hanging? Kevin, it's like your third or fourth time on here, man. Some people are starting to whisper, you might be a regular. Well, you know, if I make it to that tier, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to jinx it by saying too much here. So, yeah, I mean, combine week, overreaction week, now trade quarterback domino week we got a lot of we, we got a lot of a lot of content a lot of hashtag content in the air here rivaling the nba other than the fact that people actually watch nfl football games <laughs> i love it unprovoked shot at the nba is always welcomed here of course you can always catch kevin on the unexpected points podcast a part of the pff network Dwayne, there's no cowboy hat on today but you still look good my friend how's it hanging I mean, I, I don't know how to follow up the Cowboy Hat episode, to be honest, like all the DMs and stuff I've gotten. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to get like peer pressured back into wearing the damn thing again. Um, no, man, I'm good. Uh, the wife bought me a new coffee maker, so I don't have to drink a whole pot anymore. Now I can actually make like double espressos like I can drink less and still get all the caffeine. in. so I am doing great. Great day to be great and great day to have some quarterback trades. Let's get into it, everyone. So the big news, you guys saw it. Drew Locke was traded to the Seattle Seahawks today. And, you know, it's just really had some ramifications throughout the entire market. There are some other details of the trade. You know, the Broncos were able to get Russell Wilson in a fourth round pick. Seattle overall, Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, two first round picks, two second round picks, and a fifth round pick. So, Guys, you know, doing a little tongue-in-cheek here, trying to have a good time, be fun with it. I realized that Drew Locke, you know, could very well be staring a quarterback competition with Geno freaking Smith in the in the, in his in his face. I'm not even sure who wins that. Who cares? I've talked enough about Drew Locke. Let's get into Russ. Kevin, what are your, I guess, initial thoughts and expectations on this? Because I hear the, hey, Russell Wilson, he's the third best quarterback in his own division. I think we all know Russ hasn't exactly had the hottest 16, you know, last 16 games or so. With that said, this offense, even without Noah Fant, awfully loaded. And Russ, I mean, from a physical standpoint, I don't think, a, you know, a big fall off is expected anytime soon. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, he had the finger thing last year. I think it's fair to say that that affected his performance quite a bit down the stretch. He was grading well, at least in the first half of the season before that ended up happening. So obviously huge upgrade for the Broncos. It seems like the Broncos with their flirtations with Aaron Rodgers going all the way back to the Schefter bomb that came out before last year's draft about a potential trade there. They've been kind of locked in on this, on this idea of bringing in a veteran quarterback to place together with all of their young talent that's ready to go and to compete in a very loaded AFC. And this fits the bill there. I think everyone should be pretty happy with this trade. I've seen some Seahawks fans that look like they're not so happy right now with the composition that they're getting. But this seems like about as much as you would hope to get, I think, for Russ, the way that he's been playing the last couple of seasons. The question will just be on this team, Nathaniel Hackett, what they've done with Aaron Rodgers in uh, Green Bay, he hasn't exactly been a high volume passer, but he's been extremely efficient. So you're going to hope for that same sort of formula for Russell Wilson here uh, with the Denver Broncos. Dwayne, that was kind of my uh, takeaway to Kevin's latter point looking at this too. I'm not sure we're actually going to get, you know, the true let Russ cook pass game volume in Denver. And we obviously know it wasn't there in Seattle. With that said, you know, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Albert O. We might actually have to learn how to pronounce his last name one of these days. I mean, the sky high efficiency could very well be back as long as we are getting that healthy version of Russ. Dwayne, I believe in your initial 2022 quarterback rankings, you had Russ, you know, QB 12, QB 13, how much, you know, again, I, I know this just happened an hour ago, so I'm not asking for your final opinion on it just yet, but right now, kind of where do you see him falling now that he is employed by the Denver Broncos? I think he'll still stay right in that range. He could move up a spot or two. I think, you know, looking overall at the weapons, I think moving to say Lockett, I mean, moving away from Lockett and Metcalf over to say Sutton and Judy as your top two, that's probably a downgrade. But then overall, like just looking at the full complement of weapons that he's going to have, it's probably an upgrade. But to your point, like I don't think we're going to see this super pass heavy offense. Who knows? Like we've seen weirder things. Brian DeBole like never ran a pass heavy offense until he did. So these things can be weird. But if you just look like um, 
what Kevin was just talking about a minute ago, like on base plays last year, you know, looking at Hackett, you know, with the, you know, looking at the Packers, he wasn't calling the plays, but if you look at the last few years, you know, pass, they were 2% over the league average in base plays. Um, so, I mean, I think we see a little more passing, but the biggest thing is like just getting more volume. Like we were just seeing those games where, you know, Russ was seeing 25 dropbacks, you know, and the Seahawks are running 45 plays. I think we can be more like in the 55, 65 range, which is, you know, still not, not great, but it's just better than what we've seen with Seattle. So I just think that volume alone is going to be what helps Russ the most. Kevin, you are the brains behind the PFF projections, which you all can find on PFF.com. Use code FANTASY for 25% off a sub. Why the hell not? You know, that's that's pretty freaking cheap, everyone. With, you know, we, we know we're getting from Russ. How about, like, how are you kind of ordering these wide receivers, you know, off the top of your head, though? Because both Tim Patrick and Corlin Sutton got those big deals last year. Jerry Judy is someone that, you know, in my opinion, I think he's the best wide receiver there. Obviously, the injury, ankle injury last year, put him behind the eight ball and just terrible QB luck over the years. But, man, we got KJ handler two, a couple running backs, Albert O. Where would you kind of just, again, off the top of your head, rank these wide receivers? Because I'm guessing that the disparity might be pretty big, you know, with Tim Patrick lagging behind, might be a good opportunity to just take the value in an uncertain situation. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's probably going to be the value spot there. I mean, I think Judy, no matter how you project him, is going to probably have the highest perceived ceiling. So that's going to end up moving him up over the course of the offseason. I mean, if you saw what happened with him last offseason, he went from being a pretty clear tier below a lot of the second-year wide receivers. And then by the time that we got to, uh, closer to the season, he was right up in the same range with a lot of them. So he's been a little bit you know, invulnerable to disappointment his first couple of seasons. But the question here is really just going to be, how are any of these guys going to have meaningful volume, especially we're talking about PPR leagues where efficiency is great, but they're going to need either extreme touchdowns on lower volume, or they're going to need one of the one, one person to step out of the mix. Because we looked at what Russ did with Lockett and with Metcalf before it was the ideal circumstance as far as really just plowing almost all the volume into two wide receivers. And it's tough to see how that's going to shake out because uh, they're going to want to use all their pieces there in Denver, you'd think. The KJ Hamler part of this equation, I think, is maybe going to be swept under the rug. Dwayne, I, I think, again, I said, I think Jerry Judy is the best wide receiver there. His, you know, after he catches the pass, you get the wide receiver, cornerback, ISO cam. It, it's borderline erotic stuff. The guy is a great route runner. But to Kevin's point, there is only one ball to go around. Sutton and Patrick are the ones that actually just got those big contract ext extensions. It's not out of the realm of possibility that if anyone in this offense is going to unfortunately be, you know, splitting reps with Hamler, it could be Jerry Judy. Yeah, I mean, what we saw last year was really a rotation with Tim Patrick and Hamler and Judy, you know, and of course, Judy got hurt right out of the gate after the first game. So it kind of got a little muddled. But again, in a total new offense, I, I mean, I agree. I think we could see a little bit of a rotation across the board. I do think Judy will probably get to play inside in the slot, but we don't know, like, how often are they going to run 11 personnel? Are they going to run more 12, 21? We got to see what they do, you know, in the rest of free agency. Um, my guess is you should come out and run 11 personnel, given the receivers that you have and the fact that you just traded away Fant. Um, but I think Kevin really hit it on the head. I mean, we've already struggled with Lockett and Metcalf. And again, we know Wilson's going to probably get more volume passing than what he saw. May not be the upgrade some people are looking for, but it does have to be spread across all of these guys. Judy's been going in the eighth round over an FFPC drafts, you know, that I've been looking at. Sutton was going a little bit behind him. To your point, Ian, Tim Patrick, definitely the one furthest down. Albert O is going to shoot up the boards, obviously. Um, but Judy last year climbed, you know, he was started off around here, around round eight or seven. Then he climbed all the way up to round five and four by the time, you know, we were through with preseason. And that was just because people look back and they're like, wow, we actually had a 20% target share you know, as a rookie, last year's his adjusted market share was 16% on the season. Um, so it was down a little bit in some of his other stats. But still, you know, first round pick going into his third year, we know people are going to gravitate to that. Got to feel good for these uh, wide receivers. They were starting to, you know, get in that conversation with DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson, just one awful quarterback after another. At a minimum, they can rest assured that Russ, you know, just a little bit better than Drew Locke. I think we can all at least agree on that. Maybe just a little bit, maybe a lot. You know, I think you can 
to say that as well. Obviously, there was some other big quarterback news to break today. Aaron Rodgers, you know, didn't want to take up a lot of time in the offseason, proceed to do that anyway, but he has made his decision. Seems like it'll be a four-year, $200 million deal. Rodgers has come back and said that's not specific, uh, Lee, the contract uh, details. I don't think he signed it exactly just yet, but he did confirm that he will be back with the Packers, and it seems like this will hopefully, fingers crossed, I'm knocking on wood, not become a yearly, you know, event in the same realm as Brett Favre over the years. So, guys, I mean, personally, I expected Rodgers to be going back to Green Bay uh, throughout this, so I don't think a ton changes. But, Kevin, like, are, are you on the same page where, like, nothing's really changed and should we just expect Rodgers to kind of continue to keep keep on keeping on? Because Devontae Adams is back. We'll see with MVS, but if we've kind of learned anything from this offense over the last few years, Rodgers is going to play at a very high level. Adams is going to get his. And from, you know, just a fantasy standpoint, we'll talk – You can we can figure out the backfield, but there's just not that much meat on the bone for anyone else. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a fair way to look at it. I mean, it was funny, last season there was a little bit of a discount on Devontae Adams for a while there when people didn't know what was going to happen with Rodgers. Anyone who snapped that up was obviously very happy, will continue to be so next season. Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say about what's going to happen with Green Bay. I think what, what's going to happen on an annual basis now is, you know, will he retire or what is the annual contract restructuring going to be? Because I think they're just going to Drew Brees this contract here. So whatever you're hearing about, $45 million cap hit, uh, $60 million cap hit in the future. They're probably just going to restructure this thing and kick the can until he ends up retiring and then taking a big hit there. Well, one other thing I want to actually mention about the Broncos really quickly. I know it wouldn't be the first thing that becomes top of the mind, but when we're talking about releasing like an efficient functional offense and then you look into the backfield with Javante Williams you can maybe keep your fingers crossed there we're talking about more touchdown opportunities not necessarily more receiving opportunities because I don't know if Russ is a guy that's really going to check it down a ton but maybe more touchdown opportunities for him there depending upon what they do with Melvin Gordon who they seem to like and maybe they'll bring back but I do think this raises uh, Javante Williams ceiling to be a guy that's going to get you you know double digit touchdowns next year yeah I think we, we don't even need to talk about the Packers more well said, yeah. Kevin. Dwayne, Javante, you came out in 2022 ranks and you put Javante RB2. People were mad on the old Twitter sphere. Uh, I know this was under the assumption. Mad, that- and he's already going at the beginning of the second round. Like, it's headed there. Like, now this is assuming Gordon wasn't yes. best. Like, that's yes. clearly written in there. But, you know, that's not how social media works. <laughs> to Kevin's point, so- though, like, even if, you know, I, I get it. If Melvin Gordon's back, you're going to drop Javante a little bit. But, man, like, we could not have asked for a better. Okay, we could have. Aaron Rodgers would have been a better upgrade under center. But second best situation under center for uh, Javante to come in, hopefully get some touchdown equity because, you know, as great as the missed tackles force and some of those metrics were at the end of the day, you know, we want a situation like James Conner where you can potentially walk into the end zone 18 times in a year. Javante, I mean, let's say Melvin Gordon does return to Denver, which does seem like, you know, it is leaning towards that way. I still think it's going to be tough to rank, you know, more than eight or nine guys ahead of Javante. And even that seems like a lot. He still won't get out of the end of the second round, maybe early third. You might see him slide there in a few drafts just because drafters are so aggressive these days. It's like the boom in poker when it went from like the old school folks to everybody became hyper aggressive. Like that's how fantasy football is now. And so I just don't see a way where Javonta Williams doesn't end up in the first three rounds, most likely stays in the second round because what will happen? Like, you know, as soon as Gordon signs, everybody will tell themselves a story, right? That, well, still it's going to be 70% Javonta. Like that, that will be immediately what everybody assumes, even though we know it'll probably be more like, Hey, what if he could get to 60%, you know, cause this last year it was basically a 50, 50 split between the two guys. Um, the good news though, for Javonta, and we've talked about it before is they used him across the board. It's not like there's any certain area that they just didn't want to use him. They used him on passing downs. They used him in two minute offense, use him in long down distance, use him inside the five. Um, so they, they, they weren't hesitant, right. To put him on the field in some of those more high pressure situations. And he actually performed well in those. So I think there is a potential road, even if Gordon comes back to say, maybe get to 60 to 65%, but there's not really going to be an edge force there because that will be immediately what the whole community assumes. It's going to be like Antonio Gibson all over again, just week one snap counts coming out. People are going to be furious. You'll have to ask me every week, Dwayne, is there any news on the Javante Williams front? That was our question every week for Antonio Gibson. And well, I mean, the thing with Gordon is, I mean, he is going to be 29 years old pretty soon. And it's, it's one of those situations where I know you can project off of last season and say it was a 50, 50 split last season. So maybe it'll be 55, 45, or maybe it'll go to 60, 40. And so on. the reality is it's going to go, 
it's probably going to be either 50-50 again or somehow Gordon will fall off the face of the earth. So I think that that possibility, the possibility that Javante just really takes over in combination with Russell Wilson being there is just going to be enough to have him leapfrog a lot of flawed backs yeah. that you see there. That and that's are the not the solid, solid yeah. guys that, that, are, that are clearly going to keep him out of there. And you're going to hear the hype, the hype in preseason. You're going to hear the hype in training camp. You're going to hear the breakout stories. He's been one of the most popular guys. He was kind of the guy you could picture last year, like you could Jonathan Taylor the year before, as being the most likely second-year breakout type. And, you know, we love that more than anything else in fantasy football. Had the uh, Javante Williams highlights rolling. If you've listened to this on Spotify, we actually now have video capabilities. So if you're looking for, you know, something else fun to do while listening, feel free to check that out. But 100%. I mean, I, I say this all the time, you know, style points don't matter in fantasy football. But when you do have someone like Javante that looks as good as he does picking up those yards, I can certainly see why the hype's going to go crazy. And yeah, Melvin Gordon, like himself, Certainly wasn't as bad last year as a lot of people, you know, were trying to make him out to be. I think Javante was just better. I am expecting Melvin to maybe not completely fall off a cliff because if he's back in Denver, they should be giving him that usage. But great work from Tage Seth, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, kind of showing once NFR running backs get about 1,500 professional carries under their belt, we do start to see a backup, uh, excuse me, start to see a drop-off. Right now, only guys qualifying for that, Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, and Derrick Henry. So something to keep in mind there. Guys, I think the last piece of this Broncos uh, side of things that we can talk about the artist known as Albert O. Uh, Noah Fant is in Seattle now, so it will be the Albert O show. They originally, I guess, drafted him because of his, you know, college pairing with Drew Locke, and now that's not a big deal. So, Dwayne, I saw you tweet that Albert O should, or maybe you're talking about Noah Fant, excuse me. Albert O, thoughts here, because I'm seeing Nathan Yonke saying he's going to be a top 10 tight end already. That does seem a little bit steep. Where are we kind of thinking that he's going to be going in, in this draft, Dwayne? Because if Albert O's out there, you know, tight end 18, you know, we can throw a dart at him late. That's fine. I want to be careful, though, about assuming he's going to just all of a sudden have this every down roll, though. And if we start seeing that price tag get up to top 10, top 12, that's maybe where I would be at. Yeah, I mean, my guess is he will get an every down roll. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I mean, I think even if he doesn't have an every down roll, I think he'll have a shot at 75%, 80% routes per drop back, which is the number we want for tight ends. But it goes back to what Kevin mentioned earlier. We still have a lot of miles to feed, and it's probably not going to be this super high octane let Russ cook type offense. It's going to be more of a pass balanced, you know, to, to balanced type of offense. So I still think it's going to be a situation where he probably belongs in the low end tight end ones or the high end tight end twos. You could put him over some guys that may have, you know, some other things you don't like just because, you know, he has youth and maybe you get a breakout from him. Um, but overall, like not super excited, like he's he's going to see the most routes he's ever seen. And he's been really good on a per route basis, but he's just got a lot of other people to compete with. Yeah, I, I think he's yeah. going to have to live off of touchdown volume a little bit, too. Uh, I mean, Russell Wilson notoriously uh, cannot. I guess can't see over the offensive line. He never throws it the ball to the middle of the field. So unless it's 20 uh, yard downfield to lock it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he, so he, he's not necessarily a great matchup, but when you say top 10 tight end, I mean, what does that even mean? Like top 10 tight end, you're, 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 you're already at the bottom kind of bottom barrel throwing darts at that point. Once you're around tight end nine, tight end 10. And if you're going to do that, you might as well shoot for a potential upside again in, a, in an offense that's going to have a lot of touchdowns. And then if it doesn't work out, you know, look who you can find on the waiver wire the first few weeks. So I think for that reason alone, like a lot of these guys are going to get pushed up just based upon that potential. So uh, anyone who runs a four, four, nine at 255 pounds or whatever he was uh, is someone people are going to get excited about. And Ian, how many, how many touchdowns did Bridgewater even throw last year? Like, Gosh, I don't want I don't, to talk about what Teddy the, did in that offense. The Broncos probably had around 20. I'm just guessing. I don't have it in front of me. But to Kevin's point, like, we could be at, like, 35. Like, it is it is a big bump and potential touchdown, you know, across all these guys. This is what's going to happen. Someone's going to clip that, like, six. Maybe it'll even be me. I'll just cause some chaos. But uh, Albert O had that, like, 65-yard catch where he just took a simple five-yard curl and completely got loose and ran away from everyone. To Kevin's point, he is a, you know, size-speed freak out there, so maybe it can happen. I just worry when I look at last year, and I got the snap rates up, just one game where he was, you know, over even 60% of the snaps. We have a new offensive staff in there, obviously. And then looking at, you know, a fourth-round pick from a 
couple years ago. I'm just not so sure that Albert O is even going to be um, the necessarily the starting tight end by week one. We still have free agency to go through. We still have the draft. I like Albert O, but the guy just had 330 yards and two touchdowns last year. Now that can go up with Russ and more opportunity and things of that nature. But I don't know that like selling Noah, trading Noah Fant in the Seahawks is necessarily an endorsement on Albert O as their tight end of the future. My long way of saying Irv Smith is still the late round tight end we need to draft. Come on. I mean, I, I can get behind that, but again, we're just, we're not talking about a big investment. So we're talking about smaller investments than, than, than why not? And you're right. I think Seattle wanted to get a young player back in this. If you're going to choose for, for, for their preface, this doesn't necessarily mean that the Broncos prefer Albert. O. it's probably from Seattle's perspective. Are you going to take the guy who was the former first round pick? Or are you going to take, or are you going to take the guy as the fourth round pick? And if uh, Denver's willing to get rid of the former, then that's who you're going to end up taking at 24 years old in a potential rebuild. I'm sure we'll talk more about Seattle's situation, but I feel like they, if they're looking for a young quarterback, they're probably not going to even compete this year. There's already talk that they might trade Tyler Lockett, who's entering his age 30 season. If all that's the case, then you want a young tight end, and that's probably the guy they preferred. And the Broncos said, hey, take whichever one you want and give us Russell Wilson. Yeah, I will say Albert, Albert O's targets per route run, I forgot how high they were. They were freaking nuts the last two years, 28% and 24%. Like th those are elite numbers for tight ends. Now that doesn't always hold true when all of a sudden you give them everything on the field. A lot of times there's design stuff going on for role players. So, you know, you're going to take some of that off, but that's still really high. There's a lot of cushion there. Let's talk about the Seahawks side of things. Uh, yeah, who knows if Drew Locke's even going to be there week one. I could see them. They, they said a couple of days ago that they wanted to bring back Geno Smith, uh, quarterback competition from hell for Seahawks fans uh, going on with that. Obviously, you know, taking one of these first round quarterbacks would make a lot of sense as well. Pretty easy to say that these, this could be a fairly massive downgrade for Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Kevin, do you still think, like, assuming Lockett's still on the Seahawks, are these guys that, like, we should still be firing up as top 20 options based on what they've done in the past? Or maybe a situation where, like, we just want to get the hell away from what's going on because, damn it, we just saw what Drew Locke did the Broncos receivers for large portions of the last two seasons. We don't know what the pecking order is going to be. They're probably still going to be a run-first offense. Any hope for these pass game options in Seattle? I mean, there's always hope, but I think the option is going to be either Locke, Geno Smith, or I think the most likely option. Now, it may only be a second half of the 2022 season option, but the most likely option is going to be that the Seahawks are going to use the number nine pick and they're going to draft a quarterback. And this is the type of draft where you know, you know, one of these top quarterbacks is going to be. Uh, available at that point in time. Now, if you're really in love with someone like Malik Willis, maybe it's possible he won't be there. Uh, people are already circulating smiley faces of uh, Pete Carroll talking to Matt Corral, who seems to have fallen a bit, who would probably be available at nine. So if they have one of those guys, again, though, even if it's a hit for a quarterback, normally you don't get a rookie year type of efficiency hit that's really going to be a plus for a wide receiver. And, you know, Pete Carroll's not exactly going to want to turn it over to them a la uh, Joe Burrow and passing the ball 50 times a game if they do have a rookie quarterback. So I think that's going to be the biggest problem. There's just not going to be the volume. But if Lockett goes, you will have Metcalf and, you know, not a whole lot else there that's established uh, themselves to do anything. And maybe you will get a bunch of Geno jump balls or something like that to float him. Uh, so he'd be the one guy where you have to always be interested in DK Metcalf. But it doesn't sound like an ideal circumstance for this season. I was catching a little bit of heat on Twitter today for not, not hyping up Geno Smith, but just, I guess, a little bit hyping up Geno Smith. He wasn't that bad last year, everyone. This was his first extended appearance that he's had really since 2014. He played against the Rams, Steelers, Saints, and Jaguars. Obviously, you know, went off against the Jaguars, but wasn't bad against the Rams, Steelers, and Saints on the year. He was our 16th highest graded passer in terms of PFF passing grade among 44 qualified quarterbacks. Second in big time throw rate, only 11th in turnover worthy play rate second adjusted completion rate i went back and watched some of it and like okay we have metcalf kind of shoving marshawn Lattimore to the ground getting an 80 yard touchdown here uh you know i don't think i think he threw like a total of five touchdowns in those four games he didn't surpass 210 yards i'm not saying geno smith is a long-term answer but to kevin's point if tyler lockett is out of the picture he might be able to enable at least one high-end wide receiver so that would be i think most ideal for metcalf if lockett gets out of the picture Dwayne, something you brought up was that no offense 
we just had to, you know, uh, the Melvin Gordon Javante discourse was always the first thing we talk about with the Broncos. Right after that, it's like, what do we have at Noah Fant and Alberto? Oh, yeah, more split usage. Noah Fant with Gerald Everett and Will Disley as unrestricted free agents finally, finally should be getting that every down roll in Seattle. Yeah, maybe it's the Fant and Metcalf show moving forward. I mean, I'm hearing the stuff around Lockett, but like, isn't Lockett's contract pretty big? I don't know like how easy it's going to be to move him. I don't have it up in front of me, but it's like four um, years, yes. 66, I think. Yeah, it doesn't look like a super easy contract to move. But um, yeah, as far as Fant goes, I mean, it's just he and Albert O have just kind of, you know, managed to take snaps away from each other. So if you look at his routes per drop back over the last three years, 65%, 67%, 73%, all the best tight ends get to 80%. Like if you want a shot at being inside the top six, you got to be inside 80%. Except Tyler Higby, right? Except Tyler Higby, yeah, uh, he he's the only guy that can crack that number and just still like remain like a tight end fourteen. Like he's he's made it possible to have an outlier. Um, yeah, so with Fant, I mean, obviously the quarterback play is going to be the big question. Um, but if it's down to just Metcalf and Fant, you know, and Fant's working the intermediate short areas of the field, you know, we could see quite a few targets. And if you're playing, especially playing like tight end premium, anything like that, I think Fant could still have value even with a lesser quarterback. Yeah, we'll see about Lockett. I'm, I'm a little interested in that because obviously we have Devontae Adams getting the tag, Godwin getting the tag, Amari yeah. Cooper is probably going to be available, and I guess Allen Robinson would be the other name that's out there. But this is not a great year for free agency. It's not necessarily a great year for the for the draft for wide receivers, not like it was last year, at least with some of the high-end names. So for that reason, maybe Lockett does attract attention um, as at the very least, someone who take the top off of defenses for people who for people who are competing this year, which would contrast him with Allen Robinson. And then when it comes to Mari Cooper, Cooper's always been one of these guys where I mean, his perception cannot be that great for the fact that he could have gone to free agency a couple of years ago, came back with a $20 million deal, which didn't look bad, but not great for a former top five pick in entering free agency either. With the Tyler Lockett contract, they could trade him post June 1st, save three million against the cap and only have seven million in dead money. So it is a decent sized deal, but it does look like they could get out of it. Anything before June 1st, uh, you know, doesn't look all that realistic. If I remember right though, last year, I mean, they did a lot of these moves before June 1st, like, you know, unofficially and just kind of delayed it anyway. So keep an eye out on that. I don't think we have seen the last of these trades running through, but yeah, guys, pretty, uh, pretty freaking exciting on Tuesday here before we get free agency fully rolling uh, before we continue to summon Kevin Cole's fantastic NFL combine information. I want to give a quick little shout out to our sponsors. I mentioned before that you can use code fancy to get 25% off any PFS description. We got our dynasty ranks being updated all year long projections, locked article content, that, and so much more support the pod. Uh, hey, we also just got our completely unlocked mock draft simulator. You get grades for it. It's awesome. It's like that old Madden GM mode, but we just, you know, give it to you without a video game and you can like save all the bullshit simulation stuff that you had to do. It was really a terrible video game. I'm not sure who cleared that much better on pff.com as a simple mock draft simulator that integration the entire season again that's promo code fantasy for 25% off any sub also shout out to our friends over at Manscaped today I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra premium collection believe it or not is for your not so private parts I'm talking about a leveled up hygiene routine for your favorite manly scent this is an all-in-one skin and hair care for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe literally manscape is trusted below the waist now trust them with the rest join the four million men worldwide who trust manscape by going to manscape.com for 20 percent off and free shipping with the code pff you know i'm not a marketing genius but this makes sense manscape before just selling you stuff for your balls and shit now they're like hey you have hair on the rest of your body we're gonna attack that market too so shout out to manscaped uh, on some excellent business strategy you know from in my humble opinion 20 percent off and free shipping with the code pff at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off and free shipping with the code pff at manscaped.com the power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to manscaped and finally, our friends at All22 are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have already been playing. All22 uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a full 53-man roster, offensive line included. They still have the kicker bullshit going on, but you know what? We got the real football players, the O-line, the actual defenders actually getting their due. So I'll look past it at, th- at this point if you ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office. If you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out All22. Join the 
waitlist on all-22.com with nothing more than your email. If you join the waitlist before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your all-22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like inarguable in yeah, I don't I don't really know how to say that word, you know. We'll we'll watch the film and get better. Good draft guides, in-season strategies, feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow at all twenty-two underscore PFF on Twitter. All twenty-two, less fantasy, more football. I don't like the I, I like all twenty-two. I like their concept. I don't like that like sl- lo- slogan. Jeez, Ian, learn how to talk. Should be more fantasy, more football. Combine them, get the best of both worlds at all twenty-two. Maybe I'll maybe I'll talk to that marketing team. You know, I'm feeling a businessy today kevin i thought your article on combine metrics uh that matter was the best thing i read on kind of the combine and i even tweeted that before talking to you so i'm not just sitting here trying that to just gas me up here i appreciate it, that yeah i'm also doing that too you know i love you man so kevin how about you give people just a kind of an overview i'll pull your article up here and, and share it with some of the stuff but kind of your uh overall thoughts and kind of a. a evolution on the matter because i know you've been doing this for a long time uh and you know it's easy to get caught up in everything going on with the combine but as you found out really for especially skill positions on offense there's only a few things really worth paying attention to yeah yeah i mean i think they're they're kind of two separate impacts that i wanted to judge i mean i wanted to judge how things affect draft position which is kind of what everyone focuses on and obviously is a huge determinant of how productive a player is going to be but then also look at how it affects our PFF war or a wins above replacement metric. So to kind of, you can parse out those two things. So at least you can get an idea if someone runs a really strong 40, you know, could they potentially even be overvalued based upon that? And I also want to do it in a way where I wasn't coming up with a, you know, kind of just an opaque overall score. I mean, I do have an overall score there, but it also details out in drill by drill, uh, position by position, exactly how big the effects are and pl- placing them side by side. So that was the basic concept. And as you mentioned, I think you probably should have expected this going going into it. But the the effect of the combine on draft position for every NFL position, offensive defense is going to be larger than it is on what their actual value is going to be in the NFL. So the difficulty here is to try to figure out, okay, well, let's still looking a little bit further and maybe figure out which guys can be, like I said, overvalued after this or undervalued based upon how their different metrics work out. So starting off with quarterback, as you found the draft seems to focus most on quarterback height, hand size, and agility. Obviously the Kenny Pickett eight and a half uh, inch hands were dominating headlines last week. I myself, I got the old, uh, you know, measurement stick out nine inch hands, boys. How about that? You know, I, I don't know if I can throw a spiral, but I got the hand size at least. Uh, you know, Kevin, is this something that you found like matters like an actual on-field play? Or again, is this more of just something that tends to impact uh, the perception and ultimately their draft stock yeah i mean everything really is a bigger impact on draft stock but then hand size was actually somewhat close as far as what what the effect was there it was you know this hand size thing i feel like was a bigger deal back in the fantasy football world uh you know way back five years ago let's say six years ago maybe even longer because of two particular people uh russell wilson and even more so drew Brees. Uh, Breeze has like 10 something inch hands. So that was used as the explanation of, yeah, height doesn't necessarily matter if you have big hands. And that was a big explanation, but it does come into play that those guys have performed a little better. Yeah. Jonathan Bales. It's funny you put him up here. He was one of the big hands. I did proponents. his research. Look, here uh, we go. I did his research. 2014. So we're talking about eight years ago. Yeah. So th- th- that was a big thing. It kind of faded a bit as time went on. You had some guys with smaller hands that have been okay. There does seem to be a kind of like a threshold sort of issue going into it, but we've had a lot of smaller quarterbacks drafted who have all had pretty decent sized hands. And obviously we talked about this whole thing with Pickett. Whether it matters or not, I'm a little probably more concerned by anyone who throws with gloves on before wondering about whether or not what their hand size is. Aesthetically, I just absolutely. What if they wear two gloves, Kevin? That's worse. (laughs) That's that's even more concerning. So uh, so Teddy Bridgewater is double concerning. Yeah, I mean, well, you just think Teddy Bridgewater immediately, right? And when you I think know. Teddy Bridgewater, I don't know about you. I I don't mind Teddy Bridgewater, but it does not excitement. It's not percolating inside no. of me in any way, shape, or form. So that's the whole thing with Pickett. I mean, he had he had a great year his, his last year, but 
I, I don't know. He played at Pittsburgh, so people want to throw that out there. Uh, I'm not really going to care that much on there. And the NFL football is is actually a little bit different. It's not just the stripes. Jamar Chase, luckily, he figured that out at some point, <laughs> that the stripes on there. But it is, I believe, a little bit bigger than the college football. So all this all this stuff's going uh, gonna, to come into play, I think. I've seen some uh... – Tony Romo and Sam Darnold comps for uh, Kenny Pickett. I appreciate the Darnold ones a little more. Let's maybe chill a little bit on comping every single college prospect to like a former All Pro people. You, David Bell is Devontae Adams across the planet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but Romo Romo was a UDFA, so they're being they're 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 comping him to a to an undrafted free agent. So you got to think about uh, that. Yeah, that's fair. I, I was I was barking out Dwayne about this. So yeah, people are comping David Bell, Devontae Adams, and like yeah, wide receiver six. So you can go get Devontae Adams, I guess and he's still not going to be a top five receiver. I just want more disclaimers before it. You know, middle-class man is Devontae Adams. You know, Devontae Adams after a bender in Vegas. Like, things like that. Let's get more creative, everyone, with the player comps. I think if you have this, you know, a vast football mind of, like, mediocre players over the last 20 years can get you a long way. Kevin? Looking ahead to some of the running back stuff. Now, we got screwed with this combine because I believe not a single running back and wide receiver chose to do agility grills, agility drills. And unfortunately, well, some wide receivers did, some wide oh, receivers did, but receiver. not many, not many, but no running backs, no running backs. The, the word now is that they weren't even offered the opportunity to do it. It wasn't that they all chose not to do it, but it was like too late. Oh, because or of the so timing, because they decided to have fans. Some, something something like that. So that was disappointing for me because it maybe it's a little bit counterintuitive. I didn't find that much uh, of a correlation with the agility drills for wide receivers because you've had some guys who probably against their best interests, like DK Metcalf, who ran it and did very poorly but has done very well. Uh, Stephon Diggs is, had, wasn't that great on a weight-adjusted basis. Uh, other guys like Deontay Johnson weren't that great on a weight adjusted basis. So maybe it's a little bit less important there, but it does seem to be important for running backs. And then we didn't get it for any of the running backs. It, it is wild to see the 40 make such a kind of an impact in the draft yeah. position with the running backs. But I mean, if anything matters with the 40, it's a 10 yard split. The actual 40, as far as we know, just really doesn't seem to make that make that much of a difference on the football field. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned in the article that 90% of runs go for fewer than 10 yards, and the amount of runs that are going to go longer than even 20 yards down the field. There was some talk even there about, uh, we're going to talk about wide receivers in a second, about Traylon Burks and what people being very interested in what his flying 20 is, like the last 20 yards. Who cares? Like, <laughs> he's he is 6'2", 225 pounds. If he gets by his quarterback in 10 yards and stacks them. I think that's probably more important than what he's doing all the way down the field. Uh, I think people just kind of overthink these 40 yard dashes a little bit more, which is probably like the system was probably developed more than anything, just because you could have a more accurate time on something like a 40 than on a 10. But now that we have the electronic timers and all that stuff, uh, I do think we have to start looking at a game that's much more played in 10 yard chunks than 40 yard chunks. It seems like we're only a few years away from being done with the combine shenanigans as a whole and just having, you know, the GPS trackers with the players. That was uh, what the story. A lot, of, had a lot of money, though. A lot of money involved. Now, they're, they're, that's, that's why they're that's why everything's prime time. That's why they're moving <laughs> it to L.A. So you're right. Maybe it'll become just more of an event than an actual meaningful data point. But they're, they're going to figure out something. Something to keep the eyeballs there. Something to, you know, pick up that early March, late February action. No, I just remember hearing with the Rams and like Cooper Cup, who ran, you know, a slower than a 4-6, they were able to find out through some of that tracking technology at the Senior Bowl that he was, in fact, the fastest guy on the field. Um, you know, before we get into some of these metrics, Dwayne, I know you've uh, been just doing some good stuff showing actually PFF grades, not so much related to the combine, but if a if a player, we know how much we know how important draft capital is to really any position in fantasy, but you've kind of found that draft capital, you can almost throw it out the window if a rookie wide receiver is able to get a PFF receiving grade of, I believe, 75? Yeah, 75 or better, like just since 2011. Whether they were undrafted, whether they were the, the top pick in the draft as far as receivers go, like any of them that have cleared 75, you know, from a fantasy football perspective, like they've gone on to have, you know, good seasons. If you get over 80, it's like even it's even cleaner. So, yeah, I mean, if you come out and you play really well in the first year and you get over an 80, it's been a good benchmark. You know, we continue to pull the data in. Um, we only have that back to 2006. So we don't have it as long as we do some other data points. So we can keep that in mind when assessing some of these rookie receivers and all the draft position. And Kevin, I think this was one of the uh, you know more interesting takeaways you had from the article with wide receivers. We actually see the vertical jump be more influential on war than it actually is on their draft position. Makes sense. Vertical. We want we want explosion. Wide receivers. It sounds good to me. 
Yeah, I mean, it's part of the whole catch radius equation. I think they're also, for some of the measurements, now the measurements you're going to get a lot, you know, you're not going to get the surprise factor that you're going to get for the drills when they're running the drills. But even for the measurements, things like hand size, arm length were ending up being pretty important. And they ended up driving pretty decent scores. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Traylon Burks before, but he's a guy who actually still scored well for me, despite the fact that people were saying that he was a disappointment because he had, you know, the 10 inch hands. He didn't have the quadruple XL hands or whatever he was claiming before, <laughs> but he had the 10 inch hands. He had the 33 and a half inch arms. So big, big radius there, not the greatest vertical, but an okay vertical at 33 inches. And then his his ten time at one five four. I looked at all wide receivers that have I mean that have run a one five four ten yard split, and the median forty yard dash is a four four two. Now he ran a four five five, so I think people look at the four five five and they get concerned about that. But he run a he ran a much better ten, which you know in a couple of iterations I've done this has come as being more important than the forty yard dash. It is worth remembering, like, we're taking one freaking run these guys have. If one more person throws the Jerry Rice 47140 out there, I'm going to snap. Watch any game that Jerry Rice ever played, even when he was with the Seahawks, and I think that dude was clearing a 47140. So just, just stop it, everyone. But, yeah, I think what we need, ideally, with the combine, with the catch radius, let's get the, the sports science guys back involved. I want the Chad Johnson, you know, having the catch radius of a rhino, wherever the hell they used to be doing out there. More animal comparisons out of the combine. And that's what I'm asking for ahead of next year. Kevin, before we get to the big winners specifically, and, you know, Dwayne, will get all your thoughts. I know you've been doing some, uh, you know, early rookie look-ahead stuff. Quickly go through tight end. Now, since 2010, it's only been Rob Gronkowski, Evan Ingram, and Kyle Pitts that have functioned as top 12 fantasy tight ends as a rookie. So, rule of thumb, we're not going to get anything out of these guys in year one, but you are, you know, looking at war over a three-year period. What kind of metrics for the tight end position have, have you seen to be most important? Yeah, for for the tight end, it's uh, I mean somewhat similar to what we saw for the wide receiver, but again, the the ten yard split being more important, and then the agility drills here do come into play, and that's something that I've kind of replicated by looking at some other drills in the in the past uh, and other studies that I've done that the agility stuff matters a little bit more for the tight end position than it does for the wide receiver position. This is another one where unfortunately at the combine, we didn't get a lot of tight ends running the agility drills, but we did get some. Um, but you know, th this class is a little bit questionable generally, but we did get some results, which are interesting that we'll, we can go over. Top historical combine war predictions from tight end. Number one, Mike Jasicki makes sense because he's a wide receiver. Jimmy Graham, Jordan Cameron, and OJ Howard rounding out the top four. Again, fantastic stuff. From Kevin on the scouting and combine drills that matter for NFL success by offensive position. Also has great info on offensive line and defense if you're into that kind of thing. But now let's get into the big time winners and losers from the event. Looking at quarterback Kevin Desmond Ritter. It's hard not to be excited about what he was able to do out there. Yeah, yeah. So he ended up having the the highest score here. I mean, the one thing, uh, you know, I got kind of a little bit of a wet blanket alert here, but the one thing that you would be a little bit concerned about is that he had a 7-1-5 on the three cone and a 4-2-9 on the shuttle, which were, you know, not dramatic, but we're talking about five hundredths to a tenth of a second slower than what you would hope for. And those are some of the more important drills. So even though he scored well and better than the other quarterbacks, many of whom did not run at all, so we don't really have comparables. Even though he scored well because he had that blazing 4-5-2-40, that was a little bit of a concern. But, you know, he brought that up also with the 127 broad jump and the 36-inch vertical. So he just gave that big athletic profile. My question is, and maybe I'll, you know, lean on you guys a little bit for this too, is like how much do we rely upon the athletic profile of someone like Ritter who did not run a lot in college versus maybe someone like Matt Corral who ran quite a bit and delivered a lot of value in that area in college, but people are almost discounting Corral already for the NFL because of maybe size and athleticism concerns. I, I don't know. I, I think I, I think I do lean a little bit more towards there being something instinctual about whether these guys run or not, or whether you end up being, you know, you can even point to someone like Mitchell Trubisky and say, oh, look at how great of an athlete is. But if he's not out there running on a consistent basis, then you're not going to get that value. 
I believe going back to 2010, we've had seven rookies finish as top 12 quarterbacks, and Justin Herbert was the only one that didn't average at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. Dwayne, I know you've been you know, super high on Malik Willis for that upside. You know, is Ritter someone that after seeing that four, five, two, you're willing to bump up, or to Kevin's point, the fact that he, you know, didn't really lean on his legs as much as we maybe would have liked to see in college, is that more important to you than the 40 time? Yeah, that's more important to me. I mean, it's like you said, though. I mean, a lot of times with rookies, I mean, we get a better rushing floor than we do with veterans. And then it trails off as they go, you know, through their career. So I think you can always get something additional out of it. But with a guy like Ritter, knowing that he didn't do it a lot in college, I don't really know that we're going to see a lot of it. Whereas for a guy like Malik Willis, we know that's a bigger part of his game. And we know that, and you know, Willis, you know, I'm not that impressed with him as a passer. It's just, we know, I mean, look at Jalen Hurts. You know, you don't have to be a great passer in fantasy football if you can run the ball well. You know, if you can get, you know, 50 yards a game on the ground, like even if you're only getting 200 through the air and you get a couple of touchdowns, like you're going to be in the top 12 quarterbacks. You can be in the top eight quarterbacks. So with a guy like Willis, I care a lot more than I do with someone like Ritter. So why, do you, why do you think it is that Corral does not seem to be part of that discussion? I mean, he weighed in at 212, which – I was, you know, it's not something you're thrilled about, but I was happy enough about versus Willis, who I think is at 219 or something like that. Ritter was at 211. He's an inch taller than Willis is. I mean, you don't necessarily want your guy to be taller as far as rushing capability if you're into BMI and all that sort of stuff. But he's not small. He's not necessarily smaller than these other guys. And he is someone who ran in college. Like he did do it. He did do it a decent amount. Is it just because he got injured? I mean, what he doesn't seem to be like put into that bucket as a potential running quarterback where he did, where he has that, that, that track record, at least. I definitely, I put him in that bucket, but I know what you're saying. I, I don't hear it either. Like you just don't hear them talked about the same way. And maybe some of it is the injury. Um, I haven't heard anybody say anything specific that I'm aware of. Um, so, I mean, the injury would probably be the thing that I would lean to, but I agree with you like Corral, um, and who knows, maybe it's a bias thing, you know, with just the way people look at this, but yeah, I mean, seven, 750 yards and 11 touchdowns last year on the ground, 600 yards, uh, the year before. So he's, you know, he's, he's definitely out there. Matt Corral could be, you know, one of those fantasy darlings. I don't know. I saw, I think uh, Seth Galena was putting it out there that just with that Ole Miss offense, you know, the things they were able to do schematically wise, always, you know, being able to target his first, second read. Maybe, you know, the bigger question is like, will we have the yeah, fast that's... enough decision making uh, to really advance it? But you, hey, you, you got to fade the tape. Come on, man. We, we, we're, we're, but but this, I mean, this, 65, this is fantasy football. <laughs> but also like 65% of the NFL's passes are the first read. So, yeah. I mean, most passes go to the first read anyway. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is wrong, but okay, like my overarching, like overvalued, undervalued on quarterback would be like, I would rather have someone who executed a simple system well and and did well within within that than have someone who like it, it had a larger slice of a more complicated system, but then was worse overall. And I feel like people who really want to dig into specific plays and say, will this fly or not in the NFL are going to prefer the, prefer the second person. And I would prefer the first person. Being good, better than being bad. Heard it from Kevin. I think, I think, yeah. I think that's a great take because honestly, I like the offenses that make it simple like that. Like we need more like, Great yeah, that's a, well. That's another factor. You know? The NFL is also liking those offenses a bit more now. The NFL has started to realize that you know you're not getting like uh, you know dapped up credit from other offensive coordinators for what what sort of execution that your quarterback's able to do on 20 yards down the field. You can just go ahead and grind out and uh, scheme up some yards too. That works. Now, with running back, we got to see where these guys land and everything, but we have seen draft capital be the primary, just I think most correlated variable with running backs having early career uh, NFL success. Kevin, you wrote that Brees Hall improved his draft position more than any other running back. It seemed like every running back was out there hitting, you know, a sub 4-4-5, but whatever, we're going to keep those numbers and assume that they are good. Is Brees Hall your RB1 ahead of the draft? Yeah, yeah, I think he is. I was just refreshing my uh, my models on that. So that article, I think, will come out in a couple of days. But he's still number one. But what I liked to see, and this is you know very uh, untrained eye, but I think the untrained eye is pretty good on some of these things. With Kenneth Walker, his concern coming into this, he he actually was a little bit faster, right? So he was faster. He didn't have as well rounded of a combine, but he he was a little bit faster than even Hall at a little bit lower of a weight. But what I like to see from Walker is someone who averaged only one reception per game this last season versus Hall at three receptions per game. He looked good catching the ball. Actually, all these guys look pretty 
good catching the ball. I don't know. I guess we're not going back to the era of, you know, Andre Williams and stone hands and everything else in, in the past. <laughs> the most recent was seem- AJ Dillon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, all these guys seem to be pretty good in that capacity. And that makes me feel better about projecting them into the NFL where it's a bigger part of the game where PPR is a bigger part of fantasy football. So I feel like Walker is probably almost like a one B to to halls one a in my projections, because my projections are going to see that one catch a game and are going to lower him a bit, but I, I'm a little less concerned uh, than, than maybe the numbers would, would lead you to believe. And in Kevin's article, uh, everyone, he has, you know, the height, weight, hand, arm, 10, 40, broad, vertical, all in a nice organized table. So I know I saw on some, you know, some Twitter discussions, people just wondering, like, where to find all this information in one clean look. I know if you go to the NFL.com site, things. All the logos in there, too, man. I know. Oh, the logos. Yeah, I I can't be discounted. Some of those. I had to go to ESPN (laughs) and find some, uh, like, for Pierre Strong, the South Dakota State, whatever, (laughs) fighting, fighting rabbits or whatever. Jackrabbits, right? The Jackrabbits, yeah. That's what they are. I don't know. I had to go like go find these and 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 link them up. So yeah, I got, got it all in there for you. So truly, just a very useful table. Dwayne, are you kind of uh, on the same page right now with Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall as you know the one A one B of the group? Yeah, I mean, and we talked about him last week. Like Walker's the big value right now. If you're drafting now, because he's still going the eighth or ninth round, Brees Hall's already climbed up in the, into the fifth and into the sixth rounds. And a lot of times, what we see with ADP is the guys that are going the earliest of the rookies don't move a lot. You know, last year we did see Najee Harris move up twelve spots from you know February until August. Um, but the year before, we saw Jonathan Taylor barely move up at all. Um, Javante Williams barely moved up at, at all after starting as a fifth round pick. Now he did land in a backfield that, you know, he was going to have to share time. But Kenneth Walker could easily be the first back off of the board. And the la- and the latest grinding in the mocks, he's still number one, but they haven't been updated since February 22nd. I know, Kevin, you started looking at some of these. I saw you had a tweet out there. I don't know yeah. if you've seen anything on Kenneth Walker moving up much. Um, yeah. The other thing I've noticed with these in the past, and I'll hand it back to you because I wanted to get your thoughts. Well, we have seen, I was going and looking at grinding the mocks. It's awesome because you can actually go click on the player trends. And with some of these players, we would see like there is this move up after the combines of the guys that did really well. And then it starts to go back down and level off. So how much does this, you know, truly impact? I know above, you know, in the charts, you've got it where you've got, you know, from a draft perspective versus, you know, actually what it does for the NFL. But do all of these hold? And do you expect to see all of these guys hold the gains that they get? Um, because there were so many guys that ran well, to be honest, this weekend. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they definitely don't hold. I mean, what I've done is, like, for these articles that I'm updating with this week is I went in and just tried to find as many kind of reputable-ish, you know, <laughs> some mock drafts. You could get some shady shady stuff out there, especially for the longer <laughs> ones. But try to find that and then start to collect that data. So a few different things. Number one, we talked about Kenneth Walker. I think he still was ahead of Brees hall and every he single was every single one that one. i collected this week so okay again you so you're saying which i agree with is that if he's being drafted if his nfl draft position still looks like it's going to be fat it's going to be higher than he's probably a good value there number two yeah there is a phenomenon sometimes of swinging back so i'm kind of blending their pre-combine rankings with mostly their post-combine rankings, but a blend there. Uh, And a a big factor is these guys are going to have pro days. And the the guys who didn't do as well at the combine have a much better chance of outperforming their combine at their pro day and then getting a little bump, getting a little bump from that. Or performing drills at their pro day that they weren't quite ready for that now they are ready for. So, yeah, there is a little bit of a comeback there. But I think for certain players – is it it Kyron Williams or Kieran Williams? Because I heard – uh, Dwayne, this is Dino. I say Kyron. I thought, was, I thought it was Kyron too, but then, well, this is my fault. I was listening to the Establish the Run podcast, and then Evan said Kieran Williams, and I remember that he actually pronounces every single player's name incorrectly. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was Kyron Williams too. Like for someone like him, he may just be dead. Like he he might have just yeah. fallen off in a way that they're not going to come back from because he wasn't even in some three and four round mock drafts that I was looking at post combine where he had the I think it was the fourth highest uh, mock draft ADP going into the combine. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, sure. what does what does the model say about someone like Pierre Strong? I mean, obviously, you've got it right here. Ian's got it up in front of everybody. But whenever you're dealing with lesser competition, how does that work into the model? Yeah, well, I mean, the bi- the biggest factor that I have dealing with competition is if you have a multiple back drafted backfield that has to go with it. Other than that, I don't think it actually matters that much because 
I put this like draft position input into it. If anything, small school guys are probably undervalued as long as they have the production that you want there. You probably discount that a little bit too far um, as far as what guys do in small school. So, for instance, you mentioned Strong. I guess he's he's looking okay. I mean, his dra- I, he was only in one uh, or two of these mock drafts that I looked at. He was still in the 200, so his draft position is pretty is pretty low. So for that reason, I don't have him as being you know, uh, a high percentile type of hit draft pick, but I do like his production. And if he starts to move up and maybe people can get excited about him as a fourth round pick, maybe even a third round pick, I don't know if if that'll end up happening, but if it's possible at 207 pounds, then I would be just as excited about him. if, If that draft position is baked in there as you would be about a bigger school back. Yeah, and final thing on Kieran, Kyron, whoever the hell, Williams. Uh, whether you want to look at, you know, war percentile or draft percentile, I mean, he is dead last in this entire yeah. chart. So it, it's just going to be hard to RIP. anything positive. RIP to him, especially when everyone else is running like four threes the entire time. That was not Small good. and slow. Yeah, yeah, especially, yeah, in this particular combat, combine especially, you know, I felt, I felt bad for him, to be honest. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, gut punch. Moving on to some wide receiver goodness. As Kevin noted before, a 10-yard split is a lot more important than the 40 for NFL value at wide receiver. Kevin, talk to the people about PFF favorite Sky Moore and what he did to increase his draft stock. Yeah, you know, Sky Moore, I was – we'll see where this – this might be one of these ones that that has a little bit of a loop on its way back. I don't know how – uh, you know, Western Michigan is viewed as far as his level of competition there, but he had the highest – score not only by the war percentile projection it's a little bit worse than uh calvin austin as far as his draft position projection because he ran austin ran a a faster 40 but when i was looking through mock drafts post combine he was going in the second round almost every single time whereas before that it was you know the late third round at best so i think a lot of people are getting on board there i was a little concerned that he wasn't going to be much of an athlete because you see a lot of this kind of like shimmy shake thing going on at the line of scrimmage which can translate or not translate but it seems like people are buying into the hype and i'll give credit to uh our own mike renner pff mike where he was 30th on the big board going into the combine where a lot of people did not have him in the top hundred prospects at all. So he, 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 the, the crowd may be coming towards where PFF had him before. And he was probably the biggest winner because even guys like Christian Watson and others, they moved up a little bit in mock drafts, but not nearly as much as more. Dwayne, how did more kind of grade out in some of the, uh, you know, different metrics you were looking at in terms of separation, you know, getting targets against uh, press man coverage? Yeah, he did pretty good. Like he was, he was nice all around. Like he wasn't at top level on any of the stuff that I looked at. Now, Kevin, I know you looked at press coverage and stuff too. So you may have something to jump in here on with more, but I saw a lot of the same things that Kevin was talking about. Honestly, kind of reminded me of like thinking way back of watching film Albert Wilson back in the day. That's a good um, call. That's a good call to Yeah. So, I mean, and, and Albert Wilson, you know, he's a nice player. He's obviously not been able to stay healthy, but with Sky Moore, um, you know, he's probably going to get to work in the slot. So that's going to help. Um, you know, he's going to get, you know, more off coverage than what he's going to see with press. But yeah, he was fine all the way around. Wasn't like elite in any of those things. Um, really good from a production standpoint. But as far as, you know, all the data points that I looked at was above average to good. If you want to do like minimum, if you want to be a dick and do like minimum 25 targets, last 10 years, yards per route run. Guys over three. It's like Julio Jones five times. Albert Wilson had a year in there with the Dolphins where he was electric before he got hurt. Maybe, just maybe, Sky Moore can do that a little bit more consistently. Let's talk a little about Traylon Burks, Kevin, because on the surface, a 4-5-5-40 turned a lot of people off. But this is a big dude, and actually the underlying 10-yard split there indicated that maybe he just had you know a bad overall run. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I kind of – uh, lit a lot of the argument out beforehand, but yeah. So this his his split. If you looked at it, it's associated with the time in the mid four fours. His ten yard split would be a mid four four type of forty. And again, he was probably a victim of high expectations. I don't think he's going to fall a ton in the draft, but he definitely has had a noticeable fall because he was the top wide receiver in mocks pre-draft going around maybe like, I think 16 ish was his average mock draft ADP. And then the drafts that I put together post-draft, he was more like 28 and he was pretty consistently going below Garrett Wilson. And I don't think he was higher than the third wide receiver off the board in any single mock draft that I looked at. 
But again, he, you know, he, it's just there wasn't anything to get excited about necessarily versus what we were hoping there. But he still proved to be, you know, big and and long arms and a guy who can run really well at a position that running a four four has not been a necessity to be a huge producer. Burks is an interesting case because Dwayne, you know, we've talked a lot about how he's, if you look at his like target heat map, so much of it is just kind of uh, close to the line of scrimmage and he, he was their offense. They were just trying to do whatever they could to get him the ball. We just don't have a huge sample size of him working on the outside and going downfield. But Dwayne, I mean, you put on the Alabama tape and like you do look at the times he was asked to do that and he did it at a pretty high level. So, you know, coming off a combine that to Kevin's point, you know, I think a little bit better than people maybe give him credit for. Where's Burks? kind of ranking among your uh, you know pre-draft rookie wide receivers now i know he's ahead of drake london i mean come on <laughs> he's i mean he's in my top two um so i mean i like him my only question and i we won't really know the answer because we just don't know did their coaching staff to your point did they just decide because there's a lot of factors that go into it and their quarterback was not very good so did they just put him in the backfield did they put him in the slot just to make easier throws to get it to their best player or were they worried about putting him on the outside because they didn't think that he could really beat man-to-man or press coverage, um, you know, at a high rate if he was really exposed to it a lot. We just, we don't know the answer to that. Um, But all we do know is whenever he was given his opportunities, um, he did the best, you know, that he could with them. And to your point, like against Alabama, against Texas A&M, both of those games, you know, he beat press coverage deep down the field, made some big catches, made some big plays. So we can only go with what we have. Um, Definitely not the sample size we would hope to get to see. Um, But when you look at all the other things and then kind of back to what Kevin mentioned earlier, I do think we have an NFL that's becoming more and more willing. Um, I think it's only going to get more and more to use these players in different ways. Like the biggest difference for receivers moving from college to the NFL, just from where they're targeted in college, you know, they're targeted almost 10 percent more behind the line of scrimmage than they are in the NFL. And the NFL in that one to nine yard range, it's like a 10 percent difference. So it's like a swap and the one to nine versus the behind the line of scrimmage stuff, which you mentioned with Burks, 20% of his targets came at or behind the line of scrimmage last season. But if he gets in the right spot, like he could probably, you know, do a lot just as a rookie. If not, we'll actually have to find out, like, can he play well outside? And just because he may struggle early, if he hadn't had to do it a lot, doesn't mean that he won't eventually do it in his career. So still size, speed, combo, you know, all the things Kevin's hit on. I love Traylon Burks. See, everyone, it is possible to talk about Traylon Burks for more than a minute without bringing up the name Debo Samuel. You've just seen it done, and we accomplished that. Yeah, but, I, I actually yeah. don't see that much much at all. I mean, the one thing I'll say oh. about Burks when I looked at his, his press cover stuff, so if you look over the last two years, he's only had about 10% of his routes where he's been pressed. But we're still talking about 1,000 routes, so we're talking about 100 come into press coverage, which is a pretty decent sample. And within that sample, he had a yards per route run at 6.41, which was just, you know, head and shoulders above anyone else. And his average depth of target there was over 16 when he was being pressed. So he wasn't used like this kind of scat back gadget sort of guy in that circumstance. And, you know, I looked at other press coverage type of guys who were used like gadget receivers, whether it's Rondale Moore, Kadarius Tony, Tutu Atwell, Paris Campbell, even Elijah Moore to a little bit of a degree. So he wasn't falling into that sort of bucket. He seems like someone who can do it. And if he can't do it, he got awfully lucky on those hundred routes where he seemed to really just destroy the competition. Kevin, wrap things up here at wide receiver with a couple of your losers, Wandale Robinson and George Pickens. Uh, Just didn't quite have the combine that we were hoping for. Yeah, I don't think Pickens is going to be an actual loser. He's a loser by the metrics that I'm looking at for these war metrics. But I feel like at least when I'm seeing these mock drafts. an actual loser. (laughs) (laughs) I mean like a real quote-unquote football as opposed to the, the, the draft position because he's probably going to be pretty decent on the draft position. Robinson, on the other hand, You know, it's weird because he's getting hit with the short and for for being 5'8", and then his arms, uh, well, what are they on there? They're like pretty short. They're pretty small. T-Rex arms. Yeah, they're they're 27 and a change. So it's really short there. I also think that he got hit a little bit for the fact that his unofficial 40 times were in the four fives, and then it got moved down to – 444, which isn't that bad right there. And I think that that impression is still in people's minds. So he's someone I'm going to like, but he is, whoa, he's fallen off of the earth. He's not, he's not in multiple mock drafts that I'm looking at now. I think I only saw him in one and that was at 150. His pick was at 150 there. So he's someone who fell a ton there. Pickens, I didn't know he was being that great here, but if you look more on his draft score was okay. And for him, people seem to love him. 
and any sort of confirmation they get to to, to fall further into love, uh, they're taking. So I think the fact that he ran a, a, a sub four five here actually has him moving up a lot of boards. Great stuff, Kevin, at wide receiver. Let's round things off with tight end. Mentioned before, we're not going to see you know many of these guys do much of anything in year one, but year two, year three, perhaps we can see them. Boom, Kevin, biggest winner at the tight end position. Yeah, the biggest winner, and again, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna cop the fact that I'm not that familiar with some of these tight ends here. Allen, uh, Austin Allen here, and not the great of a 40, but a good 10 yard split, which was much more important, and then good agility drills here. Uh, we'll see where he ends up. He's not being mocked very early here. The only guys who were being mocked draft in a decent sort of spot before this were Greg Dolchich and Jake Ferguson. They both had okay combines, and then we did we didn't see. You know, Trey McBride, he didn't run. He did the broad. He did the vertical, which were both very ho-hum, but he didn't do the agility or the speed drills. He's the only guy that seemed to have upside to go a bit further. Now, one guy that that I want to highlight, which didn't qualify according to not having enough drills done because he only did the sprints, but Jelani Woods is probably the name that's going to rise the most coming out of this. He doesn't have a score for for mine, but he's 269 pounds and he ran a 461. So he's gonna, he has the best weight adjusted uh, speed by far of anyone out here. Um, so he's probably the name to look at. Not much in the way of production. Um, and again, he's, he just wasn't a big name coming into this, but he's probably the riser. He just didn't he didn't do the agility, didn't do the explosion, which I was disappointed not to see. Yeah, Trey McBride only only jumped. Uh, Jimmy Rucker didn't do anything out there. I would imagine this will be a little bit more complete after the pro days uh, are done with. Dwayne, have you had any you know tight end takeaways from this class? From my understanding of it, it sounds like McBride has the has the potential to be a day two guy. But I think more than anything, we're probably going to see a big run in these tight ends after the second round or so, and it's just going to be hard for any of them to be too big of a factor in year one. Yeah, McBride, Isaiah Likely is a name that you hear, but the the name that popped out to me the most of the combine was the one that Kevin just mentioned, which was Jelani Woods. Um, he had an 82.8 um, receiving grade last year in PFF, which was the number 13 tight end in the nation. Um, not great production, but for a tight end, decent, you know, production. So uh, he's the guy right now that I would be keeping an eye on. 2022 NFL scouting combine winners and losers by the numbers, offensive positions, and it's free PFF.com. Kevin poured his heart and soul into this. Go check it out. Give it a click. Might just learn something. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Kevin, thank you for coming on, man. Great stuff. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, no. Just say uh, listen to Unexpected Points Podcast if you want to hear some more. A little combination of fantasy, betting, real football analysis, and uh, actual loser right here on there also. It combines. It has it all. It has it all. Kevin manages to do a lot of those episodes still solo. I did that for like a year and just hated my life after, you know, the majority of them. And I'm sure pissed off enough people swallowing and all that. So true kudos uh, to what you're able to accomplish, Kevin. And as always, you know, top-notch work behind the scenes. Dwayne, I'm going to drag your ass back here on Thursday. We're going to break down free agency. What else are you working on this week? I uh, got my rookie running back ranks coming out now that we've got the combine data working on the dynasty ranks, but I'll probably hold and put them all out together next week. Great week to be great. Appreciate both of you. And appreciate all you listeners out there for tuning in this edition of the PFF fantasy podcast for Kevin, for Dwayne, I'm Ian until next time. Take care, everybody.